0: Welcome to the Musings of an ADD Mind Podcast. I'm your host, Jack, and I have the ADD Mind. Today, I have somebody that spent a ton of time with as a kid, but we haven't spoken since the last time we were in drill together in the National Guard in 94, so it's been great talking in person with him again. He literally was my next-door neighbor, whatever the the... Depth of that wall was is what separated our houses, and uh, he's a pretty great guy. It's a pretty cool story. It's Andre, and Andre, why don't you uh, say hi to the listeners? Hey everyone, nice meeting you. Nice talking to you today. Andre and I used to do all sorts of crap as kids: ride bikes, play football in the center cul-de-sac, which on our street was perfectly aligned for. Small kids to play football. Andre was the newspaper man for Tinker Air Force Base as a teenager. He's made thousands of pizzas at Peter Piper Pizza <laughs> back in the day. But yeah, Andre's had, it was fun, fun back in the day hanging out with Andre. So I think, Oh, go ahead.
1: I think some of, you know, when you look at it, some of my favorite childhood memories are right there on neighbors' lane. Yeah. Uh, growing up with me, you, Mike Gulledge, my dad's van. Yeah, remember the, the remember the two tone van that we uh, oh yeah, out, yeah. And uh, Chris Polk. You know, what's yep. funny. I talked to Chris Polk um, probably about six months ago. Either he or his wife found me on Facebook, and then mm-hmm. we were live chatting back and forth on Facebook. You yeah. I haven't heard that name in a long time.
0: Actually, he called me when my mom died last year. Yeah. So, yeah. That was good. Yeah. Um, growing up on our street, you could backtalk a little bit every parent. Most of the time, if you were a dick, by the time you got home, your parents knew about it. But there was one mom, one mom that you absolutely would not. Give lip to.
1: Do not try Leola Taylor. <laughs> do not try Leola Taylor. Try Jesus. Don't try Leola Taylor.
0: Yeah. I'll uh, I'll never forget one time I'm over there. My mom's talking to his mom. And Andre backtalked his mother. She looked square at him. And she goes, don't you ever talk me like that again, or I'll slap you clear into Jack's house. And I was like, <laughs> damn. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yes, Leola Taylor is definitely famous for her being able to control a room.
0: Yes, yes. So, so just
1: look. I talked to Chris uh, probably a year ago. This time it'll mm-hmm. be March of twenty one. The last time I talked to him, but yeah, it was about a year ago.
0: Yeah, he's a teacher.
1: Yeah, he's a teacher in some small, podunk town in Georgia.
0: Yeah, he uh, has quite the Georgia accent as well. Oh, does he really? (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) I didn't talk to him live. I just got to talk to him through Messenger.
0: Right, yeah. So, other than, um, I mean, what are some of your favorite memories of growing up on Tinker?
1: You know, uh, just the security that we had. Mm -hmm. um, Like, we never ever, maybe when we got older, we were like 13 or 14, we had some issues. But as a kid, we never had any issues of being able to just rip and run. You know, quite naturally, you had to beat the street life home. So yeah. just be able to rip and run, uh, going to Mike Gullich's house, going to your house. The diversity, the diversity was huge. I mean, if you think about so when I moved into Tinker in 80, 79, 80, my first neighbors were Hispanic. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then, um, then I think it was you guys, and you guys there were probably, you got I think we left before well, you left right
0: yeah we moved in 83 moved out what 89 seven ish 88 ish somewhere 88,
1: in that point. 88 yeah because
0: we moved in 86 yeah 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 that's right yeah the diversity on military base is one of my favorite things growing up I feel it's yeah. made me a much better adult
1: yeah absolutely. Um, so, it was you, and then I remember we had the Asian neighbors. Uh, I wish I could remember his name. Uh, do you remember? <laughs> he, was couple, no. he was a couple years older than me. I, I can't. <laughs> anyway, so we had Asian neighbors, and then we had um, the, the family with a lot of kids and the white and blue bus that had the special needs kid.
0: Yep, buddy.
1: Buddy, yeah. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, he, I can almost literally go down that holdy second yeah. and then about, it was
0: Richard Wilkins, yeah. uh the Hups, Chris Polk. yeah. Then it sort of swung around. I yeah. can't remember. And then all the way back around. Christy. Yeah, and then Mike you get Dulles over to the, the, the,
1: the Haywoods yeah. and the, uh Stantons. And then you got Andre and then the Dodies. Remember so if you if you look at if you drive onto our street and there's a the four houses, you mm-hmm. had the Dodie's there forever. Then you had Andre Smith, mm-hmm. the Haywoods, and then the Stantons. And then you come around Tanya, and then after Tanya, Mike Gulages.
0: Yeah, uh, plot. yeah, yeah. Um, has- Duncan, my son, took me on Tinker a few years ago, yeah. and the cul-de-sac that was that we played football, soccer, all that crap. It's now a parking lot. Is it really? Yeah.
1: Well, that My sucks,
0: parents, poor kids.
1: What about the what about the area behind Doty's house, in between Doty and Ingrid's house? Uh, remember, we go down there and play baseball.
0: Yeah, I don't remember honestly.
1: Yeah, because that's the two places we'd either play baseball at. We like playing baseball behind Doty's house because mm-hmm. they had the fence, and you weren't playing in the middle of the street if you hit the ball. Right. And uh, but in the cul-de-sac, you know, you hit the ball. We play kickball. Good, yeah. Uh, we played everything. It was it was just an amazing time. Uh, Cowboys dodgeball, Indians, dodgeball, yeah, yeah. But,
0: the uh, uh, creek we used to go down to is fenced off. They don't let kids go and have fun down there anymore. The, the creek that takes you to Seven Eleven. No, the the other creek. You know, you'd walk behind the youth center. That was Indiana. the shortcut to the bowling yeah. alley and the movie mm-hmm. theater. That's all fenced yeah. off. You can't. I go think I way.
1: started all of my vices there at
0: that creek. Probably. Most yeah. of us did. I yeah, the Seven Eleven one that was always fun because we'd have to go and fake playing sports so one of us could crawl under the gate and yeah. get to Seven <laughs> Eleven before right, the lady right. called the SPs. <laughs>
1: yeah, and then you had to make sure you got through the gate and outran the SPs before they could catch you.
0: Yeah, yeah, fun times. Mm-hmm. I don't know um, why that lady was always so intent. On calling the SPs. I mean, who were we hurting?
1: I know. it's just a little breach of security. It wasn't the most secure base on Earth.
0: No, it definitely is now. The sooner gate's closed. And
1: yeah. Is it completely closed?
0: Yeah, it's completely blocked off. Wow, I didn't know that.
1: That's the last time I was home. How long has it been closed out?
0: Ooh. Since sometime after 9-11. No, it hasn't been closed that long. Has it really? Yeah. You have to go to Air Depot. The one we used to go to, then now there's the South Air Depot Gate because the hospital's down that way. They built a new one, and then sort of the gates over by where everyone works. Yes. Yeah.
1: What about Soldier Creek? There's I thought there was a not Soldier Creek. What's this? I thought there was a gate you could get on based on um, Air Depot Midwest Boulevard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are, are still open. Yeah. Those are still open. I wonder yeah. why they closed the Sooner Gate.
0: I have no idea. I mean, not know.
1: Who knows? That's pretty crazy. But yeah, it's just it's just amazing. Um, growing up in that environment, and and how diverse it makes you if you choose to be. I mean, I think we still grew up with some some ignorant people, but it, yeah. it, you're you're exposed to so many different people and so many different cultures, and then your friendships switch over every two or three years too. Because you got to think about it. But my the only reason we so I lived on Tinker, I want to say thirteen years, maybe. Mm-hmm. I have to do the numbers. No, it couldn't have been thirteen years. No. it ten years, ten years at least. And um, in today's environment, you're just um, in the military. You're just not going to be able to do that because you got a uh, PCS every three years. But my dad probably was the same thing your dad did for you guys who lived there as long as you did is every two years, every three years, whenever there's their time to PCS. My dad would take a hardship tour, so he took a hardship tour to Saudi Arabia for a year by himself. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm an adult, it wasn't really a hardship tour. He got to be away from his wife and five kids for a year. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know why they call that a hardship tour,
0: right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, My did dad did one in Iceland. He was there for the Reagan-Gorbachev summit, which he yeah, said was, was really- the greatest payment in the ass ever.
1: Yeah, um, and then my dad was in Iceland for a year, so those mm-hmm. are two hardship tours that he did. Yeah, but my my father did that allowed us to stay on Tinker. As long as we did.
0: Yeah, Tinker's sort of weird though because if you're awax, you just yeah. kind of get stuck. It's unique to be in on a military base and go from elementary to high school with people yes. when you're a military brat right. Exactly and I have like eight people that I've done that with, so yeah
1: yeah I, I'm sure I you do through, too. Yeah yeah if I go through my list of friends that we went through Tinker and I say friends loosely. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I probably have someone I probably haven't talked to in 30 years. But if we think about going from Tinker to Jarman to Midwest City, Chris Doty, Keith Crawford, you, I, I probably could, if I went through there, I probably could think of many more. Joel
0: Mann.
1: Joel Mann, yeah. Because
0: I graduated uh, with Jenny, his sister.
1: Okay. Who else? Let me think of it. Uh, the McMorris's. Huh? The McMorris's. Yep. The funny part about it, Val, was a Val. God, I'm gonna go blank. But anyway, our family was stationed together in England together. Oh wow! <laughs> and then so we moved from England to Oklahoma, and we wind up living like off the of 23rd and Air Depot. So I went to Crucho, uh my kindergarten year. Mm-hmm. Guess who was there with me? Val <laughs> the Morrises. <yep>. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And then so, uh, and then so they moved on base before we moved on base. Probably about six months, and then about six months later, then we moved on. I moved on base. My parents were. Mm.
0: That so yeah. was pretty
1: crazy too.
0: Yeah, growing up on military bases, especially in the '80s, was so cool because Saturdays at noon was fifty cent movies, one dollar yeah. hot dogs. So we'd go and hang out there. The pool, <laughs> the pool, in the summer times. Yeah scaling the pool wall at night to go swimming occasionally when you got a little older (laughs) Uh,
1: the bowling alley
0: the bowling alley they had
1: the best hamburgers ever dude
0: yeah yeah crying when they closed the tinker burger burger down to turn it into a shopette
1: yeah
0: riding the blue bus to go over to uh the bx
1: the bx are (laughs) walking there yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah man great memories really great memories a lot of
1: great memories I, I don't think our kids and i say kids generically i mean from a us standpoint our kids don't have that level of freedom or they don't yeah. exercise it could you imagine right. sitting in your house playing video games all day long and not being outside
0: we were always outside
1: always could you always. imagine could you imagine your mom letting you sit in the house all day
0: yeah, and play video
1: games <laughs> It just wouldn't my. It wouldn't happen in my
0: house. No, your your mom would not allow that.
1: <laughs> no, no, absolutely not.
0: Yeah, I mean, and your parents always knew whoever you were hanging out with, you were you would be okay. And it was always strange. Parents always seemed to know each other, especially the dads. You know what I mean? Yeah. They could not have even been in the same union. You'd be like, oh, I'm playing with. Billy over there, and they're like, "Isn't his dad over in third herd?" And he, yeah. yada yada yaddas, and it's like, "Uh, I guess." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it was great times. We we had a ball. I love it. I and like you said, the diversity was great.
1: Yeah,
0: and because when my dad retired, because I'm the oldest, when we moved off base, my sister was second, third grade, something like that. So mm-hmm. she didn't grow up with the moving every, you know, three to four years like I did
2: mm-hmm.
0: and having the friends that moved all the time and yeah. getting used to meeting new people. Mm-hmm. So when I'm in a room with new people, I'm much better at the introductions, talking at yeah. first and doing all of that than my sister is. She just has a hard time with that. And it's cause I grew up on military bases. And she didn't.
1: <laughs> yeah, You're getting new friends. The cool thing about being in a military school is if you don't like your friends from last year, wait next year. You'll get five or six more opportunities to meet some new people. Yeah. New classes.
0: Correct. Yeah. It was a great Roderick, time.
1: <laughs> do you remember Richie Roderick? I do not. His mom used to be the secretary at Tinker. Okay. And Reed. Rich, Richard, Richie Reed. I think the last name was Reed. His dad was like a lieutenant colonel there, the rich kids Mm -hmm. stayed on the officer side. That's just another person we went through elementary, junior high, and high school with.
0: Yeah. One thing you quickly learn as the child of enlisted in the summer, a lot of us boys would go and mow yards because every Monday was inspection. So a lot of us would spend Saturday and Sunday go mowing yards.
1: Yeah. Make a couple dollars.
0: Yeah. They'd pay you like five bucks, something like that. But you did not ever go to officer housing, NCO housing, it was all kids mowing. Officer housing, it was the dads because those were some cheap bastards.
2: You go over (laughs) and they'll
0: be like, I'll give you 50 cents. And it's like, the going rate's five bucks. I can't pay you that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Which I always found hilarious.
1: (laughs) That is where we used to like to go knock and run.
0: Well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, after... I think after you moved off, there was a group of us that go and set off black cats on doors.
2: Yeah,
0: (laughs) my uncle was a seal. Sent me some face paint that they would use when they they were training. So we'd put it on and then hide in bushes and watch them open the door and freak out.
1: That's hilarious.
0: (laughs) Fun times. Anyway, I I think we had fun there. The cool thing about Andre is he went from a private in the National Guard, to an ossifer, retired as a major. So why don't you tell us about that journey? Because that's not a journey most people in the military make.
1: Let's start how I got into the military. First of all, I was probably more anti-military than I was pro-military as far as me going uh, when I was in college or high school. I actually Mm -hmm. had pretty decent grades. And so I thought, you know, I was going to go to OSU and go party with some of my friends from high school. And my dad buys me a brand new car my senior year while we're working at Peter Piper Pizza. And he comes home late with my car. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to go pick up my check from Peter Piper Pizza. And I wind up staying out at 2 o'clock in the morning. So I come home and uh, there's no lights on in the house. And my dad's reading light is on. I don't know why his reading lights on because he's not much of a reader. So I just walk in the room. And uh, he has his hand out. He doesn't say a word to me. I don't say a word to him. And so I give him the keys to my car. <laughs> so that, so I determined that day I was gonna, I was gonna fix my dad. So I uh, called the Marine recruiter. I was like, hey, I'm gonna be a Marine because my dad didn't want me to be a Marine. He's like, if you're gonna join the military, you should probably join the Air Force or the Navy. Mm-hmm. Don't join the Army. Don't join the Marines because they're a bunch of idiots. You're too smart for those guys. Anyway, so uh, so I, I, I go talk to the Marine recruiter and I take the pre-ASVAB and I think I scored like a 93 on the pre-ASVAB. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy's like, oh my God, you're, you're amazing. You ready to be a Marine, son? And I just wasn't feeling the Marines at the time. So I said, let me go home and talk to my dad and see what my dad thinks about it. We'll get together.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I go home. I think this is like on a Friday. I'm pretty certain it's on a Friday. So I go home. Don't talk to my dad. And then... Um, we never talk about it. And that Saturday morning, the Marine calls me. Hey son, you ready to be a Marine? I said, Man, I haven't really had a chance to talk to my dad. Give me fifteen minutes, call me back. And after I talk to my dad, then, you know, I'll I'll let you know. Hang up the phone. So another part of it is I had my own phone in my own room. Yeah, that's uh, so a big I, deal it, back in the day. Back in the big deal. It was a big I paid for it myself with my Peter Piper piece of money. Uh however comma, the phone never rung. It was it was useless. I don't know why I had my own phone because it wasn't like the chicks were standing in line to call me. Um, (laughs) So uh, the only two times it probably ever rang was a Marine recruiter. So 15 (laughs) minutes later, 14 minutes and 59 seconds later, I get another phone call. Quite naturally, I know who it is. Hey, son, you ready to be a Marine? I said, "Ah." I said, I'm talking my dad. I'm just not. no. Well, if you got to talk to your dad, then we don't need you as a Marine. Then he hangs up the phone. That's kind of the end of my Marine story. So my buddy, Chris Vargas, his dad was actually a recruiter for the Oklahoma National Guard.
2: Mm-hmm. And he had
1: been talking to me forever about, hey, Andre, do you want to be, you know, join the Army? I was like, no, who wants to join the Army? No, absolutely. Refused to do it. So after I got done with this Marine experience and after I decided that my dad was not going to pay for my college because I don't want him to take my college away like he did my car keys. Not that he could afford it to pay for my college. That's yeah. another story. But uh, so, anyway, so after I uh, I go talk to Mr. Vargas, that's how I got into the Oklahoma National Guard. So I started out as a private.
0: You were kind of a uh, medic, right?
1: Yep. yep. So let me tell you how I picked my MOS. So, whenever I was talking to Mr. Vargas, and he was like, What do you want to do? He's like, Do you want to go be infantry? I was like, ah, I'm not sure if I want to be infantry. Uh, and he's, you know, they always sell Lahua. Oh, you can go do this. You can shoot, move, communicate, low crawl. And I said, well, what's going to help me whenever I graduate from college? Like, what do I want to be when I graduate from college? That's the career field I think I'm going to pick. Mm-hmm. Then he says something very intuitive to a 18, 17-year-old boy at the time. He says, you should do something in the medical field. And I said, why should I do that, Mr. Vargas? He goes, because there's seven girls to every guy down to San Antonio. That's the only place in the in the army where you're gonna outnumber the girls are gonna outnumber the guys.
0: Fort Sam Houston.
1: Fort Sam Houston. So that's how I become a medic. Is I uh, so I picked that MOS, uh, so I became a medic. I was a ninety one alpha, and I think I did that for six years. Mm-hmm. And then I got my commission, which is the part of the story you want to talk about. I got my commission and then I switched over to, to being a logistician.
0: Mm. So I have a funny Fort Sam Houston story. When I was stationed at Fort Hood, uh, Heather was pregnant with the boy, Duncan, Mm. and she would get uncontrollable nosebleeds. Wow. And we had, I had a three-day pass, and we were in San Antonio for our two-year anniversary. Yeah. So we're walking along the canal. Her nose starts bleeding. You know, we're getting napkins, trying to get it to stop. And it's not stopping. Like yeah. 45 minutes in, I'm like, we we got to go to the emergency room. Because <laughs> she was starting to look pale. Yeah. <laughs> so we walk back to the car, drive to Fort Sam Houston, pull into the emergency room parking lot, walk to the door, doors slide open, and her nose stops bleeding. Wow.
1: <laughs> Did you guys ever figure out what made her nose bleed?
0: Not really. They something with her iron, yeah, it just start and It's a weird thing pregnant women can get. Oh,
1: sorry. I thought maybe it was from a high blood pressure.
0: No, no, no. She had the low pressure, that all time. But gotcha. Yeah. yeah, it was weird. Fun. Yeah. That's my only Fort Sam, Houston story. The only time I've been on the base.
1: Yeah, I've been there. Well, I've been to San Antonio three times because of the military, but I guess I've only been to uh Fort Sam Houston during those time periods. Yeah. And then, that was uh, it gets cold there too. Yeah. I really Yeah. I mean as does I guess when you go from it being uh the weather being super nice to forty, thirty degrees in the morning, it gets yeah. pretty cold.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the boy graduated from Lackland being in the yeah. Air Force, so I've actually been on Lackland more than I've been on Fort Sam.
1: Yeah, I spent a little time at Lackland, too, for OBC, mm-hmm. Officer base, of course.
0: Yeah.
1: And then, uh, I feel like I went one more time. I don't
0: know. Anyway. So, anyway, let's get back to your story. That's That's the important, the thing I had you on for. Yeah. So, I'm assuming... Because you graduated college, obviously, got your degree. And then you applied for officer candidate school. Was that difficult? Did you have to apply more than once? And where did you go to your officer candidate school?
1: So what happened was I got out of the – so I get my degree. I start working for the Oklahoma Department of Corrections. And I want to uh, promote up. I, I was looking for some particular jobs. And, uh, for one reason or another, I got rejected because I got in trouble when I was in college. And so I got out of the guard. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'm done with the guard. I did my six years. I'm good. They paid for my school. I don't want to do it anymore. <clears throat> I was like, you know what? I have a degree. So let's see if they can go back and make me an officer. And once I become an officer, then that makes me more, uh, what's the word? Marketable. Right. right. So that, that's that was the primary reason I got into. Back into the guard. So this is 90. So I get out in 95. Yeah, I get out in 95. Then I come back in. You know, so funny is my last day in the guard on my first contract was April the 10th mm-hmm. of 1995. Well, what happened on April
0: 11th? I don't. You're a historian. <laughs> You're a historian, buddy. Well, April 19th was... Oh, April 19th, I bombing. apologize.
1: Yes, April yeah, that 19th, was, I apologize. Right.
0: That's what threw me off.
1: <laughs> I, 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 so a week later, <laughs> right? Uh, I got out, I was done, and then we have uh, the Murray bombing, mm-hmm. uh, which I could have participated in if I had still been in as a medic, but I was out mm-hmm. and working at prisons. Um, so that's probably one of my regrets. It's like, man, if I had stayed in a little bit longer, I could have possibly got to be involved in that in the Murray building which I was not mm-hmm. so so I, I sit out for about a year and then I uh, one of my buddies I was rooming with he was like hey they actually have an officer position available in Chandler and so I re-enlisted as a medic I did my drills in Chandler as a medic and then I asked for them to send me to OBC. Mm -hmm. no, OCS, Mm -hmm. Just send me to OCS. So I applied with those guys, and so I got in on the first deal, the first turn, and actually, are you familiar with the Guard now?
0: No, no.
1: So General Mancino, you're General Mancino, you're uh, the the, uh, tag for the state of Oklahoma currently? Mm -hmm. Yeah. His father, Colonel Mancino, was the guy that I went through to go into the guard back in or the ocs back in 97 okay yeah and so the way the reserves have it or the guard has it set up you do your one weekend so every drill you have to take your uniforms your bdus have to be starched your class a has to be high and right. tight and you take those and you got to set up your wall display. Okay. And then you, you have inspections and then you get the tasing or the hazing of those guys going in there messing up your, your your wall locker display. Uh and then you do your normal I wouldn't say it was normal drill stuff, but your normal OCS stuff as far mm-hmm. as land nav, uh classes, PT, getting smoked. I think you took a PT cor- uh, test every quarter. Mm-hmm. I think it wasn't one of like we're going to do at the last minute. Uh, Your road marches, um, your student chain of command. I'm not sure what I would hate more to have a like a 22 year old as my supervisor, or to be in a military uh, school environment where we had like a class chain of command. Mm -hmm. That's who you get. That's when you get to see who the dicks are the quickest. Can I say that word?
0: Yeah. No. Uh, I cuss frequently. On this yeah. podcast
1: so yeah so you, you get to see who the power hungry people are the people that don't know how to treat their soldiers uh so that's always interesting whenever you can do the the chain of command like that or the, 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 the um student chain of commands so so i go to ocs i pick as my um branch was to be a logistician or to be a, uh, a quartermaster officer is what they were called back then mm-hmm. Uh, So I become a quartermaster officer, even though General Mancino, a colonel, was he a colonel or general? I think he was a general at this time. He was a colonel when I met him, was a general when I graduated from OCS. He wanted us to go. He wanted me to go because I came from, I think it's the 179th. Uh, I came from the 179th. I was their body, and he wanted me to go in and become a uh, field artillery officer, a (laughs) four-deserver. And his sales pitch to me was, son. This is the closest you can ever be to being infantry without actually being infantry. I was like, well, I've done a pretty good job of uh, avoiding infantry most of my life, so I will continue that (laughs) (laughs) path.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I understand. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So then I went from being, so from the 179th, then I just went to 45th and worked at 700 support. I was probably at 700 support for three years. I was at 700 support for three years, but I bounced from. Ooh, I just got a Charlie horse. You're gonna have to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, So I was at a 700 support from 98 when I got my commission to 2002. Okay. And so, whenever you're a quartermaster officer at that time, you get you have different um, components of it. And so, I was a transportation. Uh, platoon sergeant for a little bit and then I was a supply uh, platoon sergeant and then I was a commander for a detachment Mm -hmm. up in Blackwell uh, and they were in charge of have you ever heard of rope use? No. Reverse osmosis purification systems so basically what these these, uh, trucks do is they suck water out of creeks Mm -hmm. or lakes and then they send it through the system and they create brine water, a bunch of other different waters and calcium. And we put a chloride in there. And so we'd make potable water. Mm-hmm. That's what our job was for, for, uh, for summer camps and NTC and all that good stuff was making potable water. And they had a great time because those guys were always near bot. They were never with the main party. Right. They were always off close to the body of water. So, you know, if you, Went down at the right time. You can pretty much catch them all in the the creek or the lake swimming. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that sounds right. (laughs) Yeah. So then I decided a a buddy of mine, he had been bugging me for probably about six years. Why are you in the Army? Why are you in the Army? Why are you in the Army? Have you ever thought about going to the Air Force? I was like, no, who wants to be in the Air Force? There's nothing but a bunch of sissies in the Air Force. So why would I ever want to join the Air Force? And so I, we were in Muskogee, we're we're somewhere for a summer camp and they had uh, probably about 10, 5,000 gallon containers of uh, fuel Mm -hmm. uh, parked down in the valley. And then we were up high on a little bit of a ridge uh, and a a tornado comes through, like a bad tornado storm comes through. I don't, did this tornado actually hit him? I can't remember if they hit it or not. But a tornado comes through and you can see like lightning everywhere. And one day, when it, one time, it, you remember the Gore-Tex boots? You remember when the Gore-Tex boots sort of yeah. just came out? Yeah. You know how awesome they were? You could just yeah. trudge through all type of water.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, your, your feet never got wet. It's like, oh, they went on vacation. Well, Gore-Tex boots are awesome as long as the water doesn't get higher than your calf.
0: Because then and it so, doesn't leave.
1: <laughs> yeah. Then yeah. So then it goes inside the boots, and so now your boots are you know front loaded with water. Um, so anyway, so the the flash of lightning, I see the five gallon, five thousand gallon tankers of fuel, and I looked at myself and go, "Why am I still in the army?" And so that's when I started the process to transfer from over from the army to the air force, and so I started that process in two thousand and one. It actually. No, 2000. I started that in 2000. Okay. And it actually took me a year. Uh, I started in August. I put my application in and it took me a year because the Army didn't like giving up officers to go to the Air Force. So it took me a year of me calling in with my, my boss, Colonel Howard, uh, or he's a major at the time, Major Howard. Um, and, and hey, he's like, oh, we got this to do, we got this to do. So anyway, so... Uh, Year for me to get in, and then I switched over to the Air Guard in August of 2001. Oh, and then then we, yeah, and then we have 9/11. You know, uh, yeah, yeah. that next month, the next month, literally the next month, and so so that was kind of crazy looking at it from my military career on how much different my life could have been. Like If yeah. it would have took me one more month or two more months for me to get approved, I wouldn't have been uh, Major Taylor or you know, United States right. Army, Air Force. I'd have been you know, either Major Taylor or Lieutenant Colonel from the Army side of the house.
0: I had a uh, mole save me from multiple tours in Iraq. Yeah. In 2000, I was going back in the Guard, Yeah, and I told my recruiter, because at this point, I've been through Mets like five or six times, and I'm like, yeah. I'm not going through it again there's a problem i'm i'm not coming back yeah so i'm talking to the doctor and he's like what's this scar in your back and i was like when i was active duty i had a mole removed because my lbe would rub it every time we yeah. went to the field and it'd tear it and i'd start bleeding i got tired yeah. of buying new t-shirts so i had it removed and he was like well we got to see if it was cancerous and i was like what he's like yeah we're gonna have to get your records you're gonna have to come back and i got up because i was you know, in the skivvies at that point, started yeah. getting dressed and the doctor's like, What are you doing? I'm like, I'm going home. He's like, You can't do that. And I'm like, The fuck I can't. <laughs> <laughs> so I got dressed and I'm leaving. He comes out and he's like, He's leaving. And some, you know, military guy's like, You know, if you leave, you can't we're not gonna let you come back. And I was like, Yeah, that that's my point. Yeah. <laughs> and so I walked out, called my recruiter, and he came and got me and he was sorta of sad and that was in 2000. The unit yeah. I was going to go to was a transportation unit out of Norman. And okay. they got deployed to Iraq like seven times. And at yeah. one point, they had like a 50% casualty rating. Wow. So as I'm watching that unit get deployed and everything, I was like, thank God for that mole.
1: <laughs> I know. No kidding, right?
0: <laughs> anyway, back to your story.
1: <laughs> yeah. So uh, so yeah, so I switch over from... Uh... I switch over from the guard to the, or the army to the air force and just doing your normal drill stuff, transportation. And we were never so the way that the air force and the army deploys is totally different. And I'm not sure how familiar you are with it. So typically, especially during that time period, whenever the army was deploying, they would, they would take whole cities. So, and, yeah. and I, I, I want to keep this as, as user friendly as possible or as, as simple as possible. Uh, whenever their, their number comes up, that number calls for a certain package or it calls for, right. it calls for the fourth of the 82nd. And so right. everyone that's in the fourth or 82nd that's deployable will go. Right. And, and I'm dumbing this down. So if you're a military person on the other end, I'm dumbing this down. So anyway, so that's how they deploy. They'll, they'll deploy the whole 101st and then they'll call whatever battalion they want to go. Well, the way the Air Force deploys is we deploy in ULNs, unit, unit line numbers. And so those unit line numbers give a designation for what we want. We want the three Nancy package. And that would include a certain number of airplanes, a certain number of personnel uh, to make that package go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on the Army Guard side, or sometimes even on the Army side, they can deploy individual ULNs. hmm so that's how we supported the war in the beginning was uh, the 137th. Uh, we had certain ULNs that were called. Uh, we had a bunch of planes, the C-130s. We had a bunch of C-130s go to U-2. I'm trying to remember the name of the country. But I wasn't involved in that. Very little did I have to do mm-hmm. that. That was more on the other side of house. My job was transportation at the time. So that's kind of what I focused on was vehicles, gas, uh, very... Non sexy job. Um, but the Air Force and in their infinite wisdom in 2000, they went through and looked at the 21R series and said, hey, or 21 series, not 21R series, the 21 series and said, there's too many of you guys because we all had our own individual AFSCs. So it used to be 21R, 21T, whatever. I can't remember what they, they all are, but I was a 21T. And so they said, "What we're going to do is we're going to make you guys all fall under one umbrella. And then once we make you guys all fall under one one, one umbrella, then we're going to downsize. We're going to start riffing. So I become a 21R, which is 21, is a logistic readiness officer, and I'm responsible or capable, are supposed to be capable of doing five different careers: mm-hmm. supply, ground transportation, XPL, which is deployment." aerial port and one's escaping me fuel Mm -hmm. fuel was a a, my most enjoyable one uh and the one i spent the least amount of time in but fuel so those are five areas that i was supposed to be able to lead in so the reason why i'm telling all that is once they started downsizing so in 20 they switch over to 21 r's and then 20 I'm, i'm sorry in 2000 they switch over to 21 r's bringing us all together under one. Umbrella and then 21 and 22, they started rifting uh captains.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So they started uh, changing out. I think I was a captain at the time, but they started kicking captains out of the active duty. Well, now we're at full fledged war. And then 2003, maybe it was 2002. Anyway, 2002, they started rifting. 2003, now we invade Iraq. So now we have two different uh, battle spaces that we have to support. Mm-hmm. So now all those officers that they've kicked out we now need them back right but they don't have them they're gone they're kicked out mm-hmm. and so they started reaching into the guard reserves and pulling up 21 R's, and so that's how i had the luxury of going on six deployments uh, but my first one was in to saudi arabia in 2003 uh i think my job consisted of getting the lieutenant colonel coffee and uh being a bus monitor to make sure that we're running our routes in efficient time
2: someone's uh, got to without, do that
1: yeah that that was a huge important job yeah uh, yeah <laughs> yeah that was coffee's important. important coffee's super important for uh a, a lieutenant colonel uh and i was a captain and i still have some pictures of that that was probably yeah so i spent yeah i spent what six months there or three months i think my first employment was three months
2: mm-hmm. so i
1: spent three months in saudi arabia Ah, uh, drinking near beer, going to the pool, and not really kind of recognizing that we were at war, and that's why the air force gets made fun of, was uh, because of opportunities like that. The cool thing I got to see when I was in Saudi Arabia was that the YouTube was there,
0: mm-hmm.
1: not not the band, the plane. the plane, spy plan. plane, and so one of the girls that worked in, she was a journalist. That was her Mm -hmm. job. She would come and get me and be like, hey, let's go for a ride. And so we would drive to the other end of the base. And then uh, I would actually get to watch the YouTube take off.
0: Mm -hmm. That's That's cool because they have those super long wings.
1: And they have a chase Camaro behind it. Mm -hmm. And so you got like the chase Camaro with two or three privates in it or E3s, E2s, E3s, Mm -hmm. driving behind the, the YouTube. And they jump out of the vehicle and they run. And whenever it's about to launch, they pull the the crutches or whatever you want to call them, the stakes out of the plane so the plane can take off. When the plane takes off, it it, so it loops. St- yeah, it just loops until it's at al- altitude, and then you can't see it anymore.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's cool. That, yeah. that's a different plane. If you're listening, go uh, go do some research on the YouTube plane. Yeah, and. In- it's it's cool it's a yeah. cool plane
1: yeah that's that was just a great opportunity so that was my first deployment uh i don't think i really i don't think i really understood or uh recognize or appreciate the amount of logistics that went into uh, supporting a war on two different mm-hmm. uh battle spaces um but i did i think i kind of picked up on it in 2008 mm-hmm. 2008 was mine so in between that i get promoted from Captain, the major, and now twenty-one R's are in a huge demand, huge demand. And so I get, I, I pick up a deployment to um, to Afghanistan. It's my first time in Afghanistan, and I'm attached to uh, the 101st, who is having a, re- a replacement by the 82nd. Mm-hmm. So now with two huge historic uh, yeah. military, you know, unit troopers, <laughs> yeah. And yep. so it's, it's, that was pretty awesome. Um, and I try not to be awestruck with, you know, the history of them, because uh, at the end of the day, they all turn out to be a bunch of morons anyway. But they were fun <laughs> yeah. to work with. So that was my that was really eye opening for me. It was not it was it wasn't anything like my deployment to uh, Saudi Arabia. Um, this one was a, a lot. It was like we used the uh, adage of. It was like drinking water through a fire hose, literally. Uh, so I land. So it took me three days to get into country. I stopped in the Manas. If you ever have a chance, Google Kyrgyzstan and Manas. Beautiful country, beautiful women. Um, a lot of times when we think about the Soviet Union, we, we think that they're mostly Caucasian or they're European. Right. But people tend to forget that Genghis Khan went through that area and destroyed that area. I shouldn't say yeah, destroyed that
0: area. Genghis Khan was quite the ladies man
1: yes probably by
0: force but
1: yeah you're yeah Raped and pillage that whole area and so when you get to the stands uh whether it's kyrgyzstan i can't remember all the stands Ubekistan, whatever a lot of the women there or the people there are russian and asian mm-hmm. and so yeah. yeah so they're they're biracial which is is kind of interesting uh, you'll have a lady cutting your hair and she looks asian but she's speaking russian to you
0: yeah yeah yeah. Genghis Khan had a count that made Will Chamberlain look like an amateur.
1: I know, right? <laughs> Once again, but was it was it by choice or four? <laughs> and, and did yeah. they live after? <laughs> I guess they lived long enough to bear his children, huh? Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was probably my most interesting deployment was the one in eight because it was the first time that I was put into a command position. Mm-hmm. And also I had to interface with the Army. And when I say the Army, I mean General Milley and General um, McConnell, I think his name is. The, the, the irony of the story is, is that the two uh, generals at the time, they were one-star generals, they're both four-star generals now. Yeah. Two of the the the, the, the uh, chief of staff, I actually used to brief, when you look at uh, Milley, General Milley, and you look mm-hmm. at General McConville, I think his name is, he's the Army chief of staff. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I'd have to brief those guys. Well, the problem is I forgot all the army that I had learned, Uh, and so I had to take a a quick course, and they changed some of the vernacular, too. They changed from um, units into IBCs, infantry, but um, brigade combat teams, I think they're called. Okay. Uh, And so they changed the names, and so I had to go through and learn all the numbers and then all the uh, identifiers for Mm -hmm. the uh units and then uh I had I had to brief General Milley and General McConnell. So that was interesting. So the first night you do normally whenever we do a, a replacement of forces, uh we it's a rip toe is what it's called. Replacement of forces, transition of authority. Uh-huh. Uh, whenever we do those, you do what's called a seventh uh seven day uh left seat, right seat. The first two days the person that's you're replacing is, is gonna do all the work as he's teaching you. And then the third day he switches it to you and then you drive in the seat for two days. And then the last three days are kind of, you know, where they go to the commissary and they do a bunch of mm-hmm. shopping and buying uh, trophies and, and knickknacks and then check on you occasionally to make sure that you're OK.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, my guy, because we're in charge of movements in my office, he knew exactly what time I was landing and what time the plane that he was leaving on was taking off. And they weren't seven days apart. There were three. So he picks me up from the airport. I go directly. I drop my stuff in my room. And I go directly to my office, uh, which was a converted hangar, a converted Russian hangar that we built Connexes in. Uh, go directly to my office. And I sit there with him from 1 in the afternoon to 1 in the morning and him downloading six months of how to do this job. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs>
0: and you have three days yeah. to learn it.
1: Yeah. And so he does the briefing the next day. So that was a let's say I got in country on Monday and the briefings were on Tuesdays and Thursdays. He did the briefing on Tuesday. This is the Monday I, I arrived. He, t- he We stay up to one o'clock in the morning. He teaches me how to do the slides and all the uh, Excel stuff I needed and where to grab, gather data from. And then um, he taught me the one day. He briefed that Tuesday. That Wednesday, he's shopping, he comes in, gives me a high five says my plane leaves in the morning, and you get to be the slide bitch. (laughs) And so that Thursday, I had to gather all the information from everyone that was given a briefing. Right. And then I had to go through and make sure they're all uniformed and make sure they all look, you know, make sure the pages are numbered correctly. uh, just, Just a bunch of admin stuff. Right. Yeah. And then you have to send them out to everyone. And then you have to take it to the generals and present it to the generals, a hard copy, so they can make sure what they're looking at. Right. Yeah. And then my buddy was on the plane headed home.
0: (laughs) Yeah. um, Speaking of deployments, I got deployed to Kuwait in 96, so I'm familiar with it. When we were coming back home, they were redoing the runway at Fort Hood. So we had to land in San Antonio, one of the 50 million bases. We landed midnight. And they had the commander and their staff, every base in San Antonio, meeting us as we got off the plane. You know how you feel when you're coming back from deployment. The last thing you want to do is stop and salute, you know, 25 officers. Exactly. (laughs) But we had to. And my son, with his job in the Air Force, I was talking to him one time and he's like, oh, dad, we're getting deployed. I'm like, oh, where are you going? And he's like, oh, I'm satellite. We're getting deployed, but I'm just going to my office.
2: And I'm like, that's
0: not a deployment. That's yeah. just going to work normal. And he's like, no, we're getting deployed. And I'm Hilarious. like, no, no, you aren't. <laughs> so your son's never been on actual deployment? No. He operated oh, wow. satellites. Yeah. The closest he got was going from Colorado to California. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, it was cool when he was in California, got to see a uh, rocket launch from SpaceX hey, really? there. So, yeah. Well, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. But. Anyway, so I know that one of your deployments, you got to brief yeah, President so, Obama. Uh,
1: well, yeah, I got so I got to meet President Obama um, during when he was during that same period when I was with the in 2008 when I was with mm-hmm. the 101st, and they, 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 he went into like the J2 cell. I didn't have to. I didn't get a chance to brief him that time. I just got to face to face. But I did get to brief General Petraeus when I was at Senhome. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's still getting to even talk to the president when you're in the military is kind of cool. Yeah,
1: it was definitely. Yeah. Once
0: again, my boy, the son, he got to brief the VP Pence when he was active duty. And uh, General Raymond, who's now the chief of staff for the Space Force. Okay. Had him go and give a speech to Congress and the Joint Chiefs to tell them what GPS satellites do. Yeah. And he was nervous because it, it, it's the position. So when you were meeting the president, were you kind of nervous? It was just more of a,
1: it was more of a photo op, and I wanted <laughs> to do it because from a historical perspective. Yeah, um, I'm probably one of the few black people that I'll ever tell you that he did not vote for Obama. Okay, uh, and so uh, for me, it was more of the historical perspective, knowing that one day you know, that he's going to be the first black president of the United States it was kind of cool. In 2012. And let me clean this up. I didn't vote for... In 2008 and 2012, I was in country. Mm-hmm. I think in eight, I was in... Well, I know I was in Afghanistan in eight. And then 12, I was in Kuwait. But the way that the military works is you have to order your your uh, your your voting, uh, mm-hmm. your ballot. And then we mail the ballots back in. We, we're required to allow for so much cargo space on airplanes to make sure that the ballots get collected right. and they get delivered. Well, the problem with that is they do not get counted unless the election is close. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think that all everyone, you know, if you're deployed and you vote, your vote counts. Your vote doesn't count unless there's the super close kind of like, I guess it was with Trump and Biden. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when they, they, they count your ballots. So I didn't have my ballot anyway, but if I was going to vote, I would have probably voted for, at that time, I probably would have voted for him.
2: Mm-hmm. McCain.
1: McCain, more so from a military perspective, military mindset, I thought we needed more McCain's leadership to get us out of the two wars that we're in than yeah. Obama's Obama's leadership. And then in 12, I just didn't vote at all.
0: Yeah, I'm incredibly torn on Iraq and Afghanistan, personally, as a veteran, son of a veteran, father of a veteran. Yeah. I'm, I'm incredibly torn because I understand the importance, you know, nationally, worldwide for going over there. Yeah, But at the same time, I kind of feel like we failed our country and Afghanis in Afghanistan in a way. And at the same time, I think, holy crap, you know, everybody's mad about this trillion dollar package that Biden did. But that's what we spent in Afghanistan. Yeah. Flint, Michigan's water problem could be fixed. A if long we time ago. left Afghanistan four years earlier.
1: Yeah. So for me, I get a lot of heartburn when it comes to um, both of the theaters that we're in um, Afghanistan uh, specifically. One of the reasons why they brought me on when I went to CENTCOM is because that was my area of expertise
2: because mm-hmm. I'd
1: spent so much time over there from a logistical perspective. And I know the blood, sweat and tears that went into the planning. Um, I've, I, I was in Afghanistan in eight when we plused up from 33,000 to 67,000. I was at CENTCOM when we plused up from 67,000 to 101,000.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
1: was, at, I was in Kuwait when we started the drawdown to get us down to 67. I've probably been to Bagram seven or eight times. And so whenever emotional point for me is to see Bagram shutdown, And to think about some of the great memories and the non-so-great memories that, that go with Bagram, And just to know that we didn't win. yeah. Uh, So that's the hardest part. But I knew we weren't going to win in 2008. Let me tell you a quick story. So America does a really good job of supporting the soldiers when we're in the country. And so we would always get care packages. Mm -hmm. And we'd have almost like where people would write us and be like, hey, what do you want in your care package? And people like, oh, send me a can of Skull or or, or a, a tube of Skull or a coffee or cookies or whatever. We would and we had more than we could ever ever eat,
2: right?
1: And we had this cabinet in my office right behind where I stood that was full of candy. And so I go to those briefings every every other day. And one of the things they would go through the the um, the J's J one J two J three J four. And so the medical people would get up and they would talk about the uh, the kids and oh how beautiful the kids are how nice the kids are. And, how everything's okay, but the kids, the kids, the kids, the kids. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking Sundays we got half days off. And so I'm thinking, you know what? I'm going to go down and see these kids. I'm going to, it's Christmas time. I'm going to grab some of this candy and some of these Girl Scout cookies we have. And I'm going to go down there and share some American joy. Mm -hmm. In my head, in my feeble mind, I'm thinking that I'm going to do a well baby checkup. I think these kids are coming in for a well baby checkup. I walk up to the receptionist. Hey, where are the kids at? She points. I walk down the hallway. I'm just smiling because I'm going to be, uh, you know, the Santa American Joe. I'm going to be Santa. Yes. And I, I turn into this room and I've never seen so much despair in my life, Jack. Um, you have eight kids. And out of that eight kids, you probably can make six whole bodies, maybe.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, maybe five. Uh, they're, yeah. Missing, yeah. they're missing legs. They're missing arms. And you got to see, I got to see for the first time what collateral damage really was.
2: Yeah.
1: And so I'm looking collateral damage in the face and next to the kids that are laying in the beds, I see uh, their aunts, their uncles, their fathers, whomever, or their mom, whoever came to the hospital with them, they're sitting there with a look of their, uh, despair. Mm-hmm. In. And at that point, I knew we we're never going to win the war because yeah. as a father... If you'd have blown up my kid or if you'd have hurt my kids, then I would go out of my way to make sure that we destroy you as a country, too. Right. And plus, Afghanistan is kind of undefeated, too.
0: Yeah, Afghanistan is hard to take over. (laughs) It definitely is. Um, There is a documentary by a guy named John Steingarten, and I think it's in Rwanda or in that general area. And As he was making this documentary, he would see four-year-olds taking care of their one-year-old sibling because parents are dead. Yeah. Aunts are dead. Uncles are dead. And the four-year-old is the only person alive that can take care of the one-year-old. Yeah. And that's heartbreaking to think that somewhere in the world, a four-year-old is being a parent. And I would imagine the collateral damage in Afghanistan is the same
1: yeah Afghanistan Iraq yeah we're yes we're doing a lot of of that and so that's whenever people people are loyal to their teams Yeah, and so whenever Americans think about or hear about the cartilage and some of the things that we've done to other countries they don't internalize it because we are America we are you know thousands of miles away from the rest of the world and we kind of I don't want to use the word island but we we're very separated. But when you get to Europe, you get to some of these other countries, they don't look at us the same light that we look at ourselves.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on my other podcast with Kenya, we were talking about just sort of the world in general. And yeah. I had done some research in the, the College of the Americas that used to be in Panama yeah. is where the U.S. would train people how to be officers from the countries in Central and South America. Mm -hmm. So from 1960 to 1996, 17 out of the 23 dictators in Central and South America were trained at the College of the Americas. Wow, I didn't know that. That's pretty interesting. It's crazy. And sometimes there'd be a dictator and the CIA, CIA would go in. The first dictator we trained and there'd be a general and he'd be like, hey, you know, if you do a coup, we'll support you. Yeah. So then that dude would coup the first dude that did the coup, (laughs) and then of course it always turns out that they're just as bad as the first guy. And so in a way, it's like we've we've created a lot of problems in Central South America. And so I would say
1: worldwide. I would say worldwide, the United States has their hand in a lot of stuff. That would be my
0: yeah. And people have no idea. Yeah. No idea.
1: So, yeah, the U.S. has their hand in everything. And so being at the CENTCOM level where I retired at, it gives you an opportunity to kind of be exposed to some of it. And it's a great opportunity. I think probably one of the greatest opportunities I ever had in my life was to to be part uh, of the CENTCOM family. Mm and work there, I think, what, the last three or four years of my military career, I got to spend at CENTCOM, directly at CENTCOM, not under the CENTCOM theater, but actually working at CENTCOM headquarters. Um, I got picked up to work in the SMC, which is the Strategic Movement Center uh, for the CENTCOM AOR, mm-hmm. Area of Operation. And so we we're responsible for uh, planning uh, all the – there's three elements in there. My element was the policy element. So my office, we did – if you ever want to know who the good ideal ferry for the military was when it comes to movement and transportation? Yeah. That guy right there. Uh, that office is kind of what we did. Uh, we were allowed to come up with concepts, and then we did a lot of research of other countries to see if they could support the concepts that we would develop. Mm-hmm. So you have that part of the SMC, and then you have so you have the land and the air. I was the air quite naturally. Then you had the special um, movement center. and Those guys were responsible for like VIPs and getting. Right. Uh, getting politicians and generals and uh, the CODELs in and out of country. Uh, so we had that office for special flights. And that was not only in theater, but that was also in CONUS too, or in, in the actual United States. Uh, and then you had the, uh, the other part of you had the J3 side of it. Those guys were, were responsible for JOPS, which mm-hmm. is Joint Operation Planning Execution System. Earlier, I talked about ULNs and packages and how we move people. That information is put into this really antiquated database. And then it spits out an Excel spreadsheet that shows you in Julian time uh, when they're leaving, when they're arriving, when they're leaving, uh, where they're leaving from, where they're arriving at, the break in between. Uh, and it goes into intertheater theater and intertheater uh, theater also. It's, it's an interesting concept. I, I don't know how we. It's been so long since I've been in. It's been eight years. But I yeah. wonder if we're still using that, that system and format. Yeah. So we got to do a lot of the cool stuff uh, throughout through that office. And then we got to plan stuff. Um, something that most people probably are familiar with is Monus, Monus Air Force Base. That was in the news mm-hmm. quite a bit. Yeah. I think it was 10 or 11. I don't know why I'm so bad with dates. But either 10 or 11, uh, there was actually a coup or the mm-hmm. attempted coup or there was a coup. Yeah. Uh, where they lost control of central the central government for a day or so. Well, we were manning that here at Simcom, uh, looking at it, going to briefings, and then trying to figure out what our next move was going to be. So my job, my my job's responsibility was, or my office responsibility was, if we had to move modest today, where would we go? Mm-hmm. And so that's what I spent a majority of my time in Simcom doing. Is looking for another APOE, APOD, Area Port of uh, Debarkation, Area Port of Embarkation, uh, looking for places that we can move this, the system, and then be able to get people in country in the required time.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so I think they're doing it out of Romania. So we started a proof of principle, which is called a POP. Uh, we started that in, let's say, 11. And then I, retired in 14 so that proof of principle didn't come to fruition it's like 13 Mm -hmm. and and so it's kind of cool to see stuff uh that you work on and finally come to the end state Mm -hmm. Um, yeah 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 so that's what I enjoyed about working at CENTCOM and at that point I was getting close to trying to decide I'd been away from my family and my kids for probably three years my first wife and my kids I'd probably been away from those guys for probably about three or four years so it's my time to decide hey how are we going to get out of this or how do we get back to 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 doing uh to back to oklahoma um i looked at the pentagon i didn't get picked up for the pentagon uh and then so finally i just went back to oklahoma and uh, decided hey this has been a long enough ride uh my boss actually asked me and he said hey andre if you get picked up for lieutenant colonel whenever you get promoted you have to stay in for three additional years
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And he was like, you know, if you get picked up for lieutenant colonel, do you plan on staying? And I was like, buddy, once I hit my 25 years, I'm done. So I got to do uh 25 years. it's amazing when people see me or talk to me, especially once the invention of Facebook. They're like, You went from private Taylor to Major Taylor? Like, who in the hell let that happen because I was such <laughs> a screwed up private?
0: <laughs> I think every uh Enlisted person that comes an officer says the same thing.
1: Yeah. But, <laughs> so, but, yeah. yeah, it was a good trip, a good ride.
0: Yeah. Um. Sort of two thoughts, getting back to the conflicted nature. You'll see news stories of someone in the guard. Who's a father getting deployed with his son. Who's in the same unit. Yeah. And people are like, that's cool. And I'm like, it's cool. But at the same time, it's the same war. It'd be one thing if, Dad was in one, and yeah, it's another thing they're going. But I'm like, what's the same
2: twenty thing. years,
0: twenty years. Yeah, and kids are going with their dads.
2: Yeah,
0: and I just thought, man, that's well cool. Yeah, not cool at the same time because so it's we different than like Civil War Revolutionary, where yeah, a family of mills would all go to fight the battle mm-hmm. versus now, <laughs> and so yeah. it's different. So there's yeah we actually thought. got a, we, so actually go got a sit,
1: we actually got a sit rep one night and um, there's a colonel that was working and it may have been a lieutenant colonel or colonel but he was working in our building and we get the SIR the serious incident report of this guy getting KIA mm-hmm. and he had the same name as the colonel mm-hmm. and so there was some concern that. That was his son yeah so we had to spend like an hour maybe two hours researching uh this list before we send it out to make sure that it was not his son before we released the list
0: wow yeah, that, yeah. that's pretty crazy yeah and sort of going back when you switched over to quartermaster did you have mm-hmm. to go to school fort lee the home of quartermaster school
1: yeah i went to fort lee virginia i was there for god it seemed like forever
0: yeah, that's that where I did my six... AIT. Yeah. Is that, of course, six weeks? Uh, no, it was eight, the one I did. No,
1: mine. I'm trying oh, to remember. Right. Yeah. I have no idea. So I literally drove from Oklahoma. I used to have this uh, Toyota truck, the little low rider truck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I literally drove from Oklahoma directly to Fort Lee, Virginia, nonstop. I think I, stayed, I may have stopped in a... Um, I may have stopped like overnight, or not even overnight. Maybe an hour or two, like in a rest stop, mm-hmm. slept for a little bit, and then drove all the way. It was like a thirteen hour ride. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where'd you do basic at? Did basic at um, Fort Dixon. Fort Dix. Fort Dix, New oh, Jersey. Yep. Good.
0: Oh God. That's yep. Not around anymore. I it's was at not Fort around.
1: Knox. So I actually went to basic training like a week after high school. Matter of fact, I was in basic. you remember when uh, Batman came out? Yeah. The weekend the Batman came out, mm-hmm. I left like the day before. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So it
0: was old, old hat by the time you got to see it.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then I was, uh, my, 20, my 18th birthday was the 25th of June. And so I'm doing push ups, you know, graduate what, May the 15th.
0: Oh, did a bunch of people send you birthday cards when you I were there? Think, I don't think so. Did you? So my birthday happened when I was T. Okay. My drill sergeant had a rule that you had to do 20 push-ups for every piece of mail you got. Wow. Every person I had ever met in my life sent me a birthday card that year.
1: That's pretty awesome. Or at
0: least it felt like it. And every day I was getting like four or five cards and I'm just like, shit, that's okay, I'm at 120. Yeah. I'm at 400. And my drill sergeant was like, I have a payment plan. Every time I'd see him, I'd stop and do like 40 yeah. <laughs> just to kind of work it off. And like Saturday mornings, he would be the drill sergeant in charge. And yeah. I'd go down there. He'd be watching the news, CNNs, whatever. And yeah. I'm just down there doing push-ups. <laughs> yeah. And he and was like, so, you know, you could do sit-ups too. And I was like, oh, well, why not? <laughs> I hate to sit up yeah that uh, i've done many a set up and push up my time in the army which is why i don't do them yeah. now
1: exactly it's just so amazing how great a shape our bodies were in back during that period i literally yeah. could go walk up to the line smoking a cigarette and go run a 12 minute two mile
0: yeah yeah when i was deployed in kuwait our company commander for whatever reason didn't like our ncoic and he was Kind of a dick to our section yeah and he was doing a pt test and he was tearing and you guys aren't doing pt enough yada 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 i'm not going to be embarrassed by you so the day of the pt test comes and we were the only section that had a hundred percent completion rate and one yeah. of the dudes in our sec section set a unit record for the two mile run wow
1: <laughs> pretty cool he was,
0: he was a little nicer after that
1: yeah So, you were a cook your entire career?
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. Because, like I was telling you earlier, I used to want to be a chef. And back in the 90s, there were three, four uh, schools you could go to in the U.S. to be a chef. It's not like Mm -hmm. now where they're everywhere. Everywhere. And it was expensive then to go to school. It was a two year program. But if you'd been a cook in the military, it was a one year program and half as much. So, I kind of thought. I can do that, get college money because then, you know, my GI bill, whatever would help pay for the school. Mm -hmm. And then I could come out and be a chef. But at the same time, I'll make money and I can support my kid, even though I was not married at the time and I had a kid. I could support my kid, learn this trade, and I'll come out ahead. Yeah. And then we were getting married and I hadn't gone to chef school yet. Just various things got in the way. And I was like, I'm going to have to go active duty. Yeah. So I was like, I'll go through three years and then go to chef school when I get out. And somewhere about a year in, I was like, I hate cooking for people. I, my family and friends, cool, come over, yeah. I'll grill for you. I love that. Yeah. Past that, I, I hate it. And then when I got out, I didn't have any other jobs that i could go to at the time yeah so i cooked in a couple different kitchens hospitals stuff like that nursing homes and uh, we had a friend well my wife worked in pawn shops the whole time i was active duty and then she got a job here doing that and one of the other they had like four or five and they had an opening and i was cooking and the guy called heather and said hey do you think Jack would want to work here. And so I applied, worked in pawn shops for many years, made it up to manager. Yeah. And then one day I got to the point where I got tired of people coming in like the day after Christmas and pawning their kids' bicycles so they could go buy meth. Yeah. And just stuff like that. I just got sick of it. So I called my wife one day from work, and I'm like, I have to quit. She's like, what? You can't do that. And I'm like, no, I'm about to stab a customer. Yeah. I just can't do it anymore. So I quit, got the job with the state. and My sort of being a manager enabled me to get the job I have now. And I've been working for the state ever since.
1: That's pretty cool. What's the coolest item you ever saw
0: ponded? pond? A Super Bowl ring? No way. Yeah. Actually, two Super Bowl rings, different people, and national championship ring from college.
1: Do you remember the people who they were?
0: No, no, I don't. Yeah. Um, The national championship was someone on the 2000 OU national championship team. Yeah. I remember that. The Super Bowls, I don't remember. One was from the 80s. One was from the 90s. And
1: I wonder if they were indigenous to Oklahoma or do you remember anything?
0: I, I don't, just yeah. I mean, obviously, something bad, <laughs> and yeah, right there's a lot of diamonds in those rings. Yeah, so, Amy
1: has uh, I think 417 in hers,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, she works for the yeah. Bucks, that's awesome, so yeah. And then one time I took in a like a two carat diamond. That was almost flow. Well, yeah, there it is. (laughs) Yep. Yep. He's showing me a picture on the screen. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I I would go get it, but it's actually at the, uh, in our safe deposit box right now.
0: I I don't blame you. Yeah. You you probably don't want to keep that in the house.
1: Yeah. It's a pretty cool accomplishment.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so have you ever got to meet Tom Brady? No. No. Yeah. I didn't.
1: (laughs) Well, my wife has been working at home for 23 months. Oh, wow. So she's not even allowed to go to her office. They actually converted mm. her workspace into a office for coaches. And so she hasn't been home. She hasn't. Me and her have been in the house together for twenty three months.
0: Wow, you guys are still married. Cool. Yeah, we are still married. <laughs> <laughs> yep. but yep, she's pretty chill. Yeah. Pawn shop was interesting, and probably the first five five years, I loved it. Yeah. Just because every day was different. Every yeah. day. And it was cool. And then things just started weighing on me. And yeah. seeing people come in and watch them go from having a job to, like, full-on meth addict at yeah. the end. I can spot someone on meth from 200 yards. Yeah. And that was got sad and seeing people pawn their kid stuff. You probably ran into my sister a couple times. So...
1: What side, of, what side of town were
0: you on? Uh, I kind of worked all over. When I started, I worked on uh, over by 23rd and Martin Luther King. Yeah. And I worked uh, 15th and sooner at one, War Acres, and yeah. Tulsa. He's probably way in the
1: War Acres side of town no. more often than not.
0: No, I would have remembered if she came in. I occasionally yeah. would have a classmate come in and pawn something and it was always embarrassing for them yeah and then i'd have classmates that would come in and buy stuff if you're looking for things to buy pawn shops are great especially jewelry you it, clean up a ring you can't tell who owned it in the past yeah it it doesn't matter it's a fraction of the cost of going to zells
1: yeah absolutely that's, that's where i'm so gonna get my rolex whenever i get a rolex it's gonna be at a pawn shop the problem is
0: yeah.
1: how do you know if they're real or not?
0: You don't have enough time to know if they're real or not. Yeah. Um, I looked out at the War Acres next door to us. was a yeah. watch repair shop. So anytime someone bring in a Rolex, we'd go next door and just buy them a pizza once a week for That's being our consultant. Cool. <laughs> That's pretty cool. But
1: So does your wife still work in the pawn shop business or not? No,
0: she works at, you know, Love Convenience Stores, the Love's Convenience mm-hmm. Stores. She works yeah. at the corporate office. For okay, them. got you.
1: Those are still huge in Oklahoma.
0: Yeah, they're spreading. They're all over. Are they? So, yeah. So
1: what makes one spend their entire life in Oklahoma? Well, I, mean, I know you took a little bit of a, a short break.
0: Well, because I moved here when I was 10, it yeah. kind of became home. You never left. Yeah. And then, you know, my mom, dad, brother, sister, yeah. Heather's family was all here. Yeah. And just never left. But I mean, I'm I'm going to retire to Colorado. The boy yeah. lives there. He won't believe leaving. My youngest daughter lives there. Uh, she lives with him. Yeah. And so when I retire, that's probably where I'll retire to because my oldest daughter wants to move there too. So yeah. <laughs> I'll
1: so, yeah, follow I, them. And I say that I kind of say that hypocritically because after I got out of the military, I moved right back to Oklahoma. Uh, yeah. And me and me and Tanya got a divorce. And so I live. I got in the car business, uh, and I probably live. Are you familiar with Tulsa at all? Sort of. My you
0: know sister lived in Broken Arrow for a while.
1: You know where Riverview's at? The the casino, the jogging track, yeah. and all that. So I lived on that side of town, and then Tanya lived in Broken Arrow, off of like 41st and 193rd County Line Road.
2: Mm-hmm. You know
1: where you know where the uh, the schools at? Yeah, yeah. So my kids grew up in that neighborhood. So yeah. So after I moved. After I got out of the military, I moved back to Oklahoma. I lived there until, before I met my wife when I was getting out of the military, and then we dated long distance for two years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then that, that's how I got back to Tampa. So yeah, I guess it's not too foreign to stay in one state.
0: Yeah, I. There are parts of Oklahoma <laughs> that drive me insane.
1: Yeah, and
0: for the most part, though, I like it. It's yeah, it's, you know, it's a good place to raise kids. Ton to live here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Raising your kids, it's good, but there are times where it's just like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Hey, do you have any? Do you have any more topics or follow up questions you want to hit real quick? Um, I think we've pretty much covered. It. You had a pretty cool career in the military, going from private to major. Yeah. And that's you know <laughs> doesn't happen a lot, so I appreciate that. No. So yeah, I think we, we have definitely had a very
1: it. interesting career. The Next time I'm on, we should talk about the three executions I went to.
0: Sure, yeah, <laughs> cliffhanger, guys. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's probably an episode all of its own.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, <Thank> wow. <laughs> well, um, yeah. you
2: know, I
0: appreciate you, know. you coming on, taking yep. a Saturday morning. Well, I guess morning, afternoon, early afternoon to talk to me. Should be airing next Wednesday. Okay. I'll try to remember to send you the link for it. And I guess I'm going to go ahead and end it. End it in my traditional ending, even though I, as I always say, I fill at this every day, but try to live your life in a way that would make Mr. Rogers proud. Catch on the next one. Thank you for listening to Musings of an ADD Mind. If you enjoyed this podcast, or even if you didn't, please hit the subscribe or follow button.